Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Vineyard. Really glad you guys are here. Good morning, good morning. Come on in, find your spot. Everybody all right this morning? Good deal, good deal. Well, before we begin the message this morning, we've got uh, maybe a couple couple family bits of uh, announcements this morning. Uh, number, number one, like Sammy Joe, why don't you put your hand up? Yeah, Sammy Joe and Ben are engaged to be married, so that's awesome. We'll give the Vineyard high five to that. We're for that. Can't always do that. <laughs> but when we can, we do. Mm-hmm. Also, um, also, I know they're not here this service. I think they're going to be here next service. Most of you in the room probably know Kyle and Tess Hamlin, right? Uh, this will be their last Sunday with us. Uh, they're moving on to North Carolina, and uh, Kyle's going to seminary, and they're starting a new life in the Charlotte area, maybe just a little bit north of there. So if you hang out afterwards, why don't you, um, why don't you find them, give them a hug, maybe, maybe give them 50 bucks. They could probably use it. If you've ever moved, you know you could use 50 bucks. All right, cool enough. Hey, why don't you guys open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 6. We're back in our series this morning called Visionary Leadership. We're just looking at the life of Moses and uncovering some stuff. We're going to look at first 13 verses or so. And um, while you're turning there, I do also want to say this. Uh, last night, last night, last week, I, 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 had, I stepped out of this series just to give sort of a, uh, an extra personal, extra pastoral word. Uh, for the vineyard, and I think a lot of you heard it, but a lot of people I know were out traveling, and I, I never say this, but if you were out and you weren't here to hear what we talked about last week, I'd encourage you to get on the audio archive and, and pick it up, because I think it's really important for us for the next five years going forward, and it's something that the Lord doesn't want us to lose, all right? All right, hey, I want to uh, look at these verses with you. Let's look at these first. We actually skipped the first verse there, but that's okay. I'll uh, give you a little bit of background before we read the passage this morning. Here's sort of what's happened up to this point. God has spoken to Moses in the burning bush, and Moses has been a little bit afraid, and God says, well, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you some powerful signs. If you throw your staff down, it'll become a snake. If you put your hand in your cloak, it'll be leprous. If you put it back in, then it's back to normal, like really cool stuff. And also, if you're still scared, take your brother Andrew with you. He'll speak for you. You'll be like God to him, and he'll be your prophet. That's what the Lord says. I like that kind of a scenario. That was cool. And then uh, Moses and Aaron actually go back into Egypt and they talk to their own people. They talk to the Hebrew people and they're essentially rejected. And Moses is left scratching his head and that's sort of where we pick up here. And this is what God says. He says this, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I'm the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I've heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from the slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, 
who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. And this is the verse we're going to look at this morning, verse 9. You can go back. Thank you. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and their harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then will Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Yeah, we're going to look at, specifically this morning, we're going to look at one verse in particular. We're going to look at chapter 6, verse 9. You can put it up there and leave it up there. That's good. Moses spoke everything that the Lord had told him. But the people of Israel did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and their harsh slavery. We'll get right into it this morning. The first thing I want to say to you this morning, and it's the thing that the scripture is declaring to us, um, is this. That brokenness and slavery can can keep you from hearing a freedom word. And this is not just true for the Hebrews who were slaves in Egypt. This is equally true for everybody sitting in the room this morning. Our own broken places and our own places where we've become slaves to things other than God can actually keep us from hearing the word of the Lord and can keep us from hearing uh, the freedom that Jesus has for us and our community. Um, Our past experiences um, and our present circumstances are often the word of God to us. More than the word of God. This is really, really normal. Our past experiences and our current circumstances oftentimes become the word of God to us. And what ends up happening is this. They end up constructing... They end up constructing a world of limited possibilities where it's hard to see or to hear beyond what we have seen and heard. You might want to think about that for a second. It, it's the things that you have experienced and the things that you're currently experiencing can actually create a, a, a world of limited possibilities where it's actually hard to hear beyond what you have seen and what you have heard. See, at this point, Pharaoh was demanding an impossible task. He was demanding an impossible task of the Hebrew people. He, he said, not only are you going to make bricks but you're going to make bricks without straw. You guys remember that part? And, and Israel goes back to Moses and Aaron, and they say, why have you guys gone and stirred up all this trouble for us? Why, why are you guys creating all this trouble for us? Now Pharaoh is giving us an impossible task. Um, and what was interesting about this is that for Israel, Pharaoh's task of making them make bricks without straw it seemed more impossible to them than God actually delivering them. Yet another manifestation of the fact that they were slaves and they had a broken spirit. See, brokenness can actually keep you from hearing a freedom word. And one of the other things that we need to come to this morning, uh, we've looked at one side of this, but we're going to look at the other side of this this morning. Uh, We need to understand that, that both power and weakness blind us. Moses had to overcome his privilege to be able to see that his people were heavy burdened. Privilege blinds us. 
Uh, if you're rich, you, you, there is a kind of blindness that comes with being rich and being privileged. There's a kind of a blindness that comes from being um, well-educated and living a comfortable lifestyle. And somehow, and the somehow here is the grace of God and the mercy of God and the Holy Spirit, somehow Moses overcame his privileged position to be able to see the burdens of his people. That's what we saw early in Exodus. Moses grew up in Pharaoh's house. He grew up eating Pharaoh's food. He grew up wearing Pharaoh's clothes. He grew up in absolute privilege, but he woke up one day. See, privilege actually blinds you. But not only does privilege blind you, but weakness blinds you as well. And Moses had overcome privilege to see, but now the Hebrews were being asked to overcome their own suffering to see. And even this morning, the Spirit is asking us to come overcome both our privilege and the places where we've been hurt in order that we might be able to see what God is doing in His kingdom. So every place that any of us in the room have been hurt, and every place that any of us in the room have been enslaved, and every place that we've been wounded, all of those places are actually isolating you and I from God's deliverance. Now you've got to hear me correctly here. What I'm not saying is this. Our hurts and our wounds are not isolating us from God in the sense that He has written you or I off. Um, they're not making us unworthy. But they do isolate us in the sense that even when he is fighting on our behalf, we can't see it, and we might even fight against it, preferring what we've always known. It's really, that's a, that's a, it's a possibility. And the reason why is this, because freedom is always a new place. Freedom's always a new place. Slavery is always the place you've always been, and freedom is always, always a new place. And freedom is always a new paradigm. Uh, and it's coming forth from everything that you've ever known. And it's because freedom is a new place, what that means is that freedom is always a risk. This is really sort of strange, um, in some ways, illogical thinking, but it's true. When God begins to call us out of our slavery and out of our wounds and out of our brokenness and out of the places where we're bound up, He's calling us into freedom. It's a new place. And in order to begin to take steps to move into that new place, it'll always be a risky step. There's always a risk element. There'll always be an element of uncertainty. Eventually, you have to step into the unknown. And because of that, freedom is never the safest place. And that first step into freedom, that first step into that new place, is always believing God. You have to start believing something new. The first step is not moving into that new place, but the first step is always believing God and beginning to believe something new. Which often means the first step is believing God's messengers. Believing the Moseses and the Aarons that God sends you. Uh, one of the things that we love here at the Vineyard is, is that we love the prophetic. We love the scripture. We believe that it's God's word. But we also believe that there is a now word from the Holy Spirit that's present every time God's people get together. And because of that, we treasure uh, the prophetic word and we treasure prophetic people who are able to bring us the now word of the Spirit. And oftentimes when God begins to lead you into freedom and out of slavery or out of uh, places where you've been bound or wounded, the first thing that he's going to bring to you is a prophetic word through a prophetic person. And the first thing that he's asking you to do, rather than move, is just beginning to accept someone who's saying something different than you've ever heard in your entire life. And actually, to begin to believe that person is a risk. It's a risk. We love, we love the prophetic around here. We love the scriptures, but we also love God's now word. And it's one of the ways that we advance. And... 
one of the reasons that one of the reasons that um that we that believing is 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 the first step is because um it's the true foundation on which the house of faith is built on uh, the scripture says this that god believed it actually says this that abraham believed god and then god credited it to him as what righteousness we see this before before abraham ever left his mom and his dad and his whole family he he believed god believing is always the first step into freedom and then some of you all grew up knowing this passage out of Romans uh, chapter 10, verse 9. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and what? Believe in your heart, right? What? You'll be saved, right? Everybody, a lot of people have memorized that. But what's, what's the first step in living the saved life? Believing. It's always, the, it's always the beginning of walking into a new territory. The saved life is always the believing life. And the slave life is always the unbelieving, untrusting life. Moses comes to God's people and says, hey, the Lord's going to deliver you. And it says they could not believe him. And the reason they didn't believe him was because of their harsh slavery and their broken spirit. One of the things we see here is that there's always a temptation to believe that our pain is the biggest factor in our life. There's a temptation to believe that our current circumstances are the boss or that our current circumstances are most true. Pain has a way of owning our attention. Even when you don't know it's owning your attention. Pain has a way of absorbing all of our energy and focus. Anybody in the room ever stubbed their toe? Isn't it funny how for that period of time, immediately after you've stubbed your toe, you you don't know anything else? It doesn't matter, like Ed McMahon himself could be at the front door with a check for $50 billion, and if you stub your toe, that, that dissolves, doesn't it? You smash your toe just right. Why? Because pain absorbs all of our attention, and it absorbs all of our energy. Some people can't see Ed McMahon at the front door with a $50 billion check because you have not gotten over the wounds and the slavery that you've been living in and the bonds that have bound you up. Pain will keep you from hearing a freedom word. Pain will keep you from hearing a freedom word. And the beginning of walking in freedom is to begin to believe something new. Believing is the beginning. So pain has a way of owning our attention. There's a temptation to believe that our pain is the biggest circumstance in our life or that it's the boss or it's the most true. But one of the things that we see in Moses' life and just the Exodus account in general is that there's always a reality looming larger in the background. So no matter how you're in pain this morning, no matter what's happened in your life, no matter what you're aware of or what you're not aware of, no matter what you believe or what you don't believe, there's a reality looming larger in the background. There's a person who's at work, and it's God. That's what we see in Exodus. There's, it doesn't matter if you've been a slave for 400 years. There's someone who knows and cares and who's actually beginning to do something about it. I know a young man, personally, who experienced a good deal of pain in the form of rejection when he was a kid. And I'm not talking about, like, got chosen last in the dodgeball game rejection. I'm talking about significant, significant rejection. And as a result, nearly everything that happens to him in his life right now is forced through the filter of non-acceptance. 
It's a frustrating experience for him. But it's also really frustrating for people around him. The reason it's frustrating for him and people around him is because even when people around him try to do something good for him, he will often interpret it as rejection, which brings greater space when what he... You see what I'm saying? This, how many of you know that person? How many of you are that person? Don't put your hands up. Yeah. yeah this, this guy is a really, really good guy, but he got really hurt. And by the way, it wasn't his decision either. It wasn't as though he chose some things that put him in slavery. No, he was just born into a kind of slavery. He was born into a kind of rejection. And the rejection literally right now at this point in his life mostly keeps him from being able to hear anything other than non-acceptance. I literally have to watch how I text to this guy. I can send normal texts to this guy and he will read it as you don't like me. I once sent this guy a text that said, he, he, he texted me and said, hey, can we text? And I texted him back, what's up? And he's like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to bother you. Where's that coming from? I didn't say you bothered me. I'm just wanting to know what's going on, right? But it's coming through that filter of non-acceptance. So every single thing that he hears, even when I'm trying to draw out what's going on, let's interact, he hears as, get away from me. Where's that coming from? It's actually, it's actually a work of the, of the not spirit of God to keep him from hearing the freedom word that I carry around with me for him. So it can be a frustrating experience. And some of us in the room might be thinking, I'm good. I don't struggle with this stuff. Like, I don't have rejection issues. When Pastor Adam texts me, I don't think that he's mad at me. It's all good. (laughs) I'm free as a bird. But I would like to say again, and I want everybody in the room to hear me, that pain and disappointment have ways of making us blind to new realities and new freedom in God. Just because you don't feel like this applies to you doesn't mean that it doesn't. You might just be blind. So we need to get down to how do we know if we're blind in these issues? Well, I don't have time to go into all of them, but I'm going to give you a couple litmus tests here really quick. These are really simple. Uh, Number one, when you hear a word of hope, what's your reaction? Is it belief or is it cynicism? This is one of the ways that you know that you've become blind. When somebody brings a word of hope to the church or to you, or even if you just see something good in the world, if your first reaction is cynicism, you can know for sure that you're blind. It's blindness that comes from disappointment. Cynicism is always unresolved disappointment. It's making you blind to new realities and freedom. Number two, when we encounter someone with a vision specifically a vision of hope, are we strengthened or are we embittered? Are we strengthened or are we embittered? If we are carrying around an embittered spirit, especially an offensive embitterment that comes specifically when somebody brings a word of hope, a word of encouragement, or a vision of of something better, uh, if it makes us cynical, embittered, or just a jerk and everybody knows what i'm talking about there's a good chance that we're blind and we're blind because of some pain that we haven't dealt with all of these are contact points and they're telling a story they're telling a story about whether or not we're as free as we think we are 
So the truth is, even though I don't feel like a slave, I might be a slave. And even though I don't feel like I'm bound, I might actually be bound. And I know for sure that uh, for those of us living in the 21st century in America, pretty prosperous, one of the number one um, bonds of slavery that is setting on God's people is cynicism. Cynicism. It comes from a lot of different places. One of the main places it comes from is just general disappointment. It also comes from a been there, done that attitude. Bought the t-shirt, moving on. So Moses comes with a vision from God and God's people says they can't hear it. They did not listen because of their broken spirit and their harsh slavery. But I also want to talk about the visionary leadership side of this. I want to talk about this from Moses' side as well. Because everybody in the room is called to be a Moses at some point. This is one of the ways that we need to interact with Scripture. Is when we read Scripture, we need to ask ourselves, God, is there any place in my life where I'm the people of Israel? And Father, is there any place in my life where I'm Moses? We're never just one. We're, we're always both. And in order to get the full picture of how we're doing and what's God, what God is doing in our life, we need to ask these sorts of questions. God, where am I still a slave? Where, am I, where are my ears stopped up because of what's happened to me? And then, Father, where are you asking me to be a Moses? And where are you asking me to lead people who can't hear the hope that I have? So everybody here is called to walk in a Moses, Moses role at some point. And one of the things about getting a vision from God is that it is uh, thoroughly invigorating. Anybody ever had the Lord talk to you about some stuff, give you a vision or give you a hope? It's really crazy. When the Lord begins to talk to you and begins to give you a new vision for what's possible, it's thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly invigorating. It's exciting. It's awesome. It feels good. Like your body feels different when you begin to hear something from the Holy Spirit that's new and, and awesome. And when you get a vision from God, the first thing you do is you share it, which is what you're supposed to do, by the way. That's what you do. When you get a vision from God, you should share it. But, but at the same time, uh, I, I want everybody in the room to realize this. Don't be surprised if the very people that God is sending you to aren't into your word. <laughs> you might even be out and out rejected. Not just the word that you carry, but you might be rejected. Can you imagine? Moses meets God in an impromptu interaction in the desert in a burning bush. There's a bush that's on fire, but it isn't consumed, and the bush talks. (laughs) And tells him things. And then, he leaves that moment. Can you imagine how you feel for the next three or four months after you've had a conversation with burning plants. <laughs> it would be confusing and invigorating. I think we can agree on that. It would be a confusing and invigorating event. And then when you finally go and do the thing that God's asked you to do, can you even imagine just the, just the dissonance that would happen inside at, God's told me to do this, and I go and do the very thing that He's asked me to do, and I'm utterly rejected. Utterly rejected. This is, this is part of what it means to be a leader in, in, in God's house and what it means to be a leader to God's people. There's an aspect of rejection that comes. Uh, it's really strange, and it's strange for lots of different reasons, but it happens. I've had many visions from God. I've shared them, and 
enjoyed it and, and, and believed. And I've also been rejected, and it was really, really painful. Uh, one, of the, one of the first times I was really ever seriously rejected in my life was when God began to talk to me the most plain about something that he wanted to do. And I went and I shared it. And what was interesting is a handful of people thought it was really cool. And then there was this other handful of people that thought it was not just not cool, but they thought it was not God and that I was a bad person. Uh, what's interesting about that is that I, then had, to, that I didn't, then had to share classroom space with those people for the next three and a half years. <laughs> Yeah, this is just what happens. For everybody who's going to be a leader in God's house, there is there's some rejection that will be there. Not just the word, but you might even be rejected. And when you get rejected, there's, there's two temptations that, that every leader uh, is going to face. And the, and, the first rejection is, and the first temptation is this. You're going to be tempted to believe that you didn't hear from God. You're going to be tempted to believe that you didn't hear from God. And the second temptation is this. You'll be tempted to believe that the people are the problem. Everybody in the room knows that God spoke the worlds into existence. He speaks things. When God speaks things, stuff happens. Especially when you read Genesis. When God talks, stuff happens. Jesus could walk by a fig tree, curse it, come back the next day, the thing is dried up to the roots. When God talks, stuff happens. And we like to believe that when we speak the words that he gives us, that they will result in sudden, instantaneous changes. They usually don't. They usually don't. But we shouldn't lose heart. Just because we don't see sudden, instantaneous changes, we shouldn't, we shouldn't lose heart. Here's why. Because what I've learned over the past 15 years is that God's words, the ones that he gives to us, the ones that he gives to us to speak to other people, they're more like seeds than they are bazookas. Most of us have read the scriptures in such a way that that we have come to believe that God's words are bazookas when in fact they're mostly seeds. In fact, God's not really all in that. He's not into bazookas all that much at all. He's really into seeds. Over and over again, when Jesus would teach, he almost always talked about the fact that the word of God was seeds that a farmer sowed. And if there's anything that I know, especially most of us in the room, we've lived in Kentucky long enough to know this, that it takes time for seeds to grow. And there'll almost always be a season of hiddenness and nothingness. Every time something gets sown, the first thing that happens is there'll just be a season of that thing being covered up hidden and nothingness. And so it's odd for God to come to you and say, go and talk and have no one listen. Anybody want to be a leader in God's house or with God's people? He's going to ask you to go and talk and he's going to ask you to endure no one listening at first. It's going to seem like no one's listening. It can be disheartening we begin to have these thoughts like, I thought I was just doing what God said, and I thought when you do what God said, it's supposed to work. (laughs) One of the worst things that we can do is become super reactive in this moment of disappointment. Because we have created a 
system, we've religionized life with God to the point that when things don't work, we give up on them and we become either disappointed or reaction-oriented. And in doing so, we oftentimes change course when all that was really needed was more time for this thing to take root. We thought that God's word was like a bazooka and then we could just go blast things. Nah, really isn't. It's like sowing seeds. You sow seeds. You sow seeds. You sow some more. So one of the things that we need to do as visionary leaders, as Moseses, to people who are enslaved and to people who are broken in their heart, we need to talk and we need to keep talking. You need to sow seeds and you need to keep sowing seeds. You need to share what God's given you and you need to keep sharing. You need to prophesy and you need to keep prophesying. You you, you need to keep going because the fields need to be sufficiently sown with God's freedom and hope. I don't know if you're aware of this, but in the fields that God is sending us to, they have been sufficiently sown with weeds. And one seed is not going to change the field. One seed won't change the field. You've got to just keep sowing, and you've got to keep sowing, and you keep sowing, and you keep sowing. If the Lord gives you something, you just keep sowing that thing. Just keep talking about it. Keep sharing it with people. Keep the hope alive. Keep sowing it. In fact, one of the ways that you keep the hope alive is by talking about it. You have to, you have to encounter hope, and you have to stir up hope to keep it alive, and you just you keep sowing. And then eventually in this great big field that has some weeds and some rocks, it will eventually, those good seeds, that imperishable seed is what Peter calls it, it will eventually find good soil and it will take root. But it may not happen instantaneously and we shouldn't lose heart if some people reject us or the word. We need to look for ways to plant the seed at every single turn. The second temptation that we have to deal with is the temptation to believe that the people are the problem. It's really, really easy. And let me say this with 100% transparency. It's really, really easy to get mad at the people that God has called you to set free. In my experience, there's probably not a bigger temptation to the leader work that God calls people to. The biggest pitfall, I know for me, is to get mad at the very people that God is asking me to serve and to set free. A wise man once told me, and a friend of mine, it's really hard to love people when you're mad as hell. And it's true. And one of the things I'm learning, and one of the things that the scripture is pointing out to us this morning, is that the people aren't the problem. They're broken. If you've been a slave for 400 years, what else do you know? If you've been a slave for 400 years and someone tells you that you're going to go live the high life and have your own house and your own land, and not only that, but the very people who have enslaved you are going to give you all their stuff and a, and a blessing as you go, you're not likely to believe that, even if it's absolutely true. And it's not their fault for not believing it. So if you want to be a visionary leader, one of the things you've got to know, church, is that the people are not the problem. The problem is that they're enslaved. The problem is, is that people are pawns. And they might even prefer their current slavery to your alternative call. And your alternative call is always going to be a call that requires risk, 
and a step into the unknown. The next step might be to go and see Pharaoh. That's what we see in the scripture here. God sends Moses and Aaron to the Hebrew people. They reject him. He says, okay, here's what we're going to do. It's time for you to go see Pharaoh. Time for you to go see Pharaoh. See, sometimes what it means to be a visionary leader is it means to be an advocate for people who can't hear what you have to say. To actually go and deal with the person who is the problem. Sometimes scared people need someone to be brave for them and to go. Sometimes as leaders, God will send us to people who won't listen, only to turn around and send us to someone else more powerful who won't listen. (laughs) One of the things that the Lord is wanting to do in these scenarios when he sends us to people who won't listen, then asks us to be courageous and go talk to someone else more powerful who won't listen, one of the things that the Lord is wanting to do it's not the only thing, but one of the things he's wanting to do is he's wanting to, he's wanting to wean us from the cocaine of success. He's wanting to wean us off the cocaine of personal success. I believe this is what's happening in Moses' own life. He's wanting us to be the sort of people who can believe and trust God even when it's not working. When Moses goes and talks to Pharaoh and Pharaoh doesn't listen, at that point, Moses and all of Israel are in the same boat. And when you're trying to follow Jesus and no one listens, it could mean that you're off your rocker or it could just mean that you're in the sweet spot. Every single leader is going to have to endure rejection, both from above and below. One of the ways that you know you're about ready for a major breakthrough is when the people you're trying to serve below are rejecting you and then when you go to the powers above you and you get rejected as well that's the place where we most want to give up and it's actually the place where God is about to do the most unbelievable things it's over and over again not just in the scripture but it's in history people who are rejected above and below if they don't give up if they keep sowing seed if they keep believing God they get a tremendous breakthrough it's the litmus test for every leader's heart It keeps us free from the cocaine of our own success. It keeps us close to the Lord. I want to talk about this deal of the cocaine of our own success for just a second. The trouble with the cocaine of our own success is it gets addictive. And anyone who's ever been around an addict knows that addicts are nuts. They can't even think right anymore. And it it isn't just people who are uh, smoking something or snorting something who become addicts who are nuts. Uh, oftentimes the most nutty people you're ever going to meet are some people who have won a couple times in a row and think that they're the reason they won. And God wants to wean us off of the cocaine of thinking that the reason that we've won or the reason that we've been successful or the reason that it's working is because we were awesome and we were smart and we were big and we were strong. And those are just not true. So the first thing that happens to Moses is he has to go through this weaning process of getting off of the stuff. And in that process, I believe this is the very place where Moses became a friend to the Lord. In Exodus 33, it says that the Lord spoke to Moses like a man speaks to his friend. It doesn't say that about anyone else in the whole scripture. 
And I believe one of the reasons that it doesn't say that about anyone else in the whole scripture, and I believe that the reason that Moses became a friend to the Lord the way a man is to another friend, I believe that the reason this relationship existed is because at the beginning, Moses was so totally and utterly rejected, he had no one. And when you have no one, you need a friend. And when, you have no, when you're completely unsuccessful and you, for some reason, keep believing and the Lord comes close to you, this is where, this is where you begin to love and lean on Jesus in a brand new way. Friendship is oftentimes forged in the fires of unsuccess. That's when you need a friend. That's where we learn to be friends with God, not just servants with God, not just obeyers of God, but, but friends. I believe that God is oftentimes coming to us with kindness and friendship when we've been the least successful doing what he said to do. Because the Lord wants to grow us up. He wants to grow us up to be able to process rejection without losing heart or trust in Him and without becoming angry at people. That's what the Lord wants to do. He wants us to be able to be people of that kind of character who can go through something really difficult and we don't lose our heart in Jesus and we don't become angry at people. We don't, essentially, we don't become blame shifters. And the reason why is this, is because you and I can't make people do anything. Have you ever noticed that? You can, you can try to make people do stuff, but it just doesn't work. The only people who make other people do stuff are the Saddam Husseins of the world. You know, the dictators. And by the way, no one loves a dictator. You might fear him, but no one loves a dictator. And you can't be... You can't force people to do anything and still be a part of God's leadership program. And it requires this weaning process. This weaning process of, of everything I do is successful. It requires this uh, weaning process of, of being accepted and loved all the time. Uh, it requires this, this process. And, and oftentimes that process looks like pain and rejection. It looks like uh, loneliness but in the midst of that, in the midst of that, there's the Lord. And he's teaching us a leadership that's, that's wooing rather than making people do stuff. One of the ways that you know you're encountering the Holy Spirit is when it's an invitation and when it feels more like let's go on a date rather than showing up for worse, work to a boss who's making you do stuff. Jesus never made any of his disciples do anything. He invited them. He said, hey, Matthew, you're sitting there. Why don't you follow me? And Matthew was free to not follow him. But he, but he chose to. The rich young ruler comes to him and says, teacher, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, well, why don't you go sell everything you have and come follow me? And he didn't. And the tragedy of that particular episode is, is I actually believe that Jesus was possibly holding out to the rich young ruler an apostolic call to come follow him, just like the rest of the disciples. I believe that even at that point, Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him, and I believe that Jesus was pre-gaming and adding one, even though he knew one was going to leave him. 
See, the ministry of the Spirit is always invitation. The leadership for God's people in God's house is always invitation. It's never you got to do. It's, it's, never, it's never should oriented. It's you can if you want. It, it's more like, hey, would you like to go to the movies? That's what it means to be a part of God's leadership. And um, this morning, I feel like the Lord wants to help us just a little bit. That's all right. I feel like the Lord wants to help us a little bit. I feel like there's probably people here who are on profoundly on both sides of the ball. Uh, I feel like even while I've been talking, there's probably some people here who know that they know that they know that they have not been able to hear uh, the freedom call of the Lord because they've just been so hurt in life. And it's actually kept your ears from hearing good things. And at the same time, I feel like there's some other people who are in a Moses moment and you are beginning to walk out your call and walk out the word that the Lord's given you and you've been rejected and it's been disappointing and you're thinking maybe I'll give up and go do something else. And I think the Lord wants to deliver both of those people this morning. Is that okay? Amen. Hey, if you're on ministry team, why don't you come on up? And I want to pray for everybody here. And then after I pray, if you need to respond to the word, if, if, if this morning's word has highlighted some aspect of your life, you need to respond to it. I mean, you can sit there and get it, but, you know, hey, it's actually much better when you come up and have somebody stand with you. All right? Why don't you stand up? I want to pray for you this morning. And for me. And for me. Lord, we just give you all of our hurt places, even the ones we're numb to. God, even those stingers that we're not totally aware of anymore. But God, all of those places where we are, where we've been damaged by other people or where we've been bozos and damaged ourselves. God, we just give you our pain and our disappointment, everything that keeps us from hearing your freedom word. Father, we say to you that we don't want to believe, we don't want to be unbelieving slaves who can't imagine a different reality. Father, we don't want to be people who are uh, cynical when we hear a hope word. Father, we just, we again, we just give you our cynicism. All of it, God. All of that, um, that, that edge of we know better. We know how this is really going to be. And Father, we also come to you and we say that we, we want to be Moses with a Jesus heart. Father, we, we don't any longer want to hold uh, the people responsible as being the problem. Father, would you give us Moses' vision to see the real problem? The real problem is they're slaves. Father, would you give us compassion and tenderness? Father, would you give us patience? And would you give us a temperate heart? God, would you give us the desire to consistently be bringers of hope without being like elitist 
pitying people, but genuinely caring. Father, we ask that you'd be our friend, even in times of it not working. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, who is closer than a brother. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you need to respond this morning, you come on up. We've got two teams here, and they are really good at what they do. Otherwise, give somebody a high five and a hug. Amen.